Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Zephaniah chapter 3. So Zephaniah, again, if you go to Malachi and just work your way back, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah chapter 3. Our text this morning begins in verse 14 and extends to the end of the chapter as we come again to this, to this section of the Bible that perhaps we've not spent much time in, uh, the minor prophets, and we see how the various prophets and the, the writings of the twelve, as they were called, lead us to, to expect Jesus, and ultimately lead us to Christmas. But what I hope you've been seeing is that each of these passages have been used by God to minister hope to us, Christmas hope, whether it's hope for the cynical, as we saw from Malachi, or, or hope for the dirty, as we saw from Zechariah, or this morning, new songs of hope for those who, who sorrow and suffer in this world. God desires this morning to renew your hope in him, and especially for those of you who are sorrowing. Some of you come in carrying great burdens, whether it's personal burdens, relational burdens, physical burdens. You know the, the as Paul says in, in Ephesians that these days are evil, and this is in fact a sad world. But this morning, God has a word for you, a word of hope. He wants you to sing again, to sing with great joy. That's what this passage is about. We sing ultimately because God sang a verse first. But in order to hear the voice of the Lord this morning, singing and speaking to us, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we come to you as your people this morning, and we do desire to hear the voice of the Lord. We desire to hear the Holy Spirit speaking in Holy Scripture, and so we do pray, Spirit, you would come. Open our eyes of faith this morning that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me ask you a question this morning. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? What do you think 
God thinks about when he thinks about you. Probably for many of us, if, if not most of us, we, we tend to think that maybe God's a little bit like Santa Claus, or, or at least the way Santa Claus is portrayed in, in that song that you all know that was best sung by the greatest rock and roll band in history, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. You better watch out. You better not cry. You, you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Now, after 25 almost years of ministry, I've learned to have no professional opinion about Santa Claus. So I can't really speak to whether or not Santa Claus is like this. But I do know one thing. God is not like this. God is not scrutinizing you. He's not, he's not going through your day-to-day, judging you, making lists, ready to punish the, the naughty, ready to reward the nice. And yet most of us, I would suggest this morning, think of God just this way, that his love, his kindness, his mercy is somehow conditional. That if we're, if we're just worthy enough, if we don't pout, if we don't cry, if we keep our nose clean, if we do the right things, if we have it all together, then he'll love us. Is that what you think God thinks when he thinks about you? Is that why you don't sing? Right, Sunday by Sunday, I, I look out over the congregation, and, and some of you, on some Sundays, many of you, you're not singing. Now, some of it is because, undoubtedly, you don't feel like you're any good at it. You don't like the sound of your own voice. You don't enjoy it. Others of you don't really know the tunes, although that's not much of an excuse this time of the year. Or you feel like the tunes are just too difficult to figure out. But, but part of me wonders if, if some of you don't sing because you think, well, there's not really any point in singing. Because God really isn't that great. Because he's actually looking at you like a great judge ready to count all your sins and iniquities. He's coming to town, after all, with his list of, of your sins, of commission and omission, to, to bring judgment. And he, he might even think he doesn't even really like you. He sees you as pitiful and foolish and dirty, so, so why bother singing? If that's you this morning, here's why you should sing. You should sing... Because believe it or not, when God thinks about you, he's actually singing over you. We sing because God first sings over us. That, that's what this text tells us. It's an amazing gospel text. I think this is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And it comes at the very end of a challenging prophecy. You see, Zephaniah prophesies at the end of the kingdom of Judah during the reign of Josiah. So around 640 to 609 BC. And central to Zephaniah's message, if you were to read the three chapters of Zephaniah this afternoon, you'd find central to his message is the day of the Lord is coming. And this day of the Lord that's coming is a day of judgment to God's people. In fact, chapter 1 tells you that Zephaniah says to Judah that God's judgment is coming upon them because of their idolatry. They, they were worshiping the Baals, the, 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 the fertility gods, as well as the moon and the stars. 
But as bad as their idolatry was, even worse was their complacency. They didn't care. And they assumed that God didn't care. They assumed God didn't care because he didn't do anything about their idolatry. And so God said, I'm coming, and I'm coming to judge Judah and then the nations. Zephaniah 1.18, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, some of you are saying, see, that's exactly how God is. And that's exactly, it's just like Santa Claus is coming to town. He's made this list and he's recognized who's naughty. He's recognized who's bad. And so he's coming to destroy us all. Clearly, his love is conditional. Well, and that would make some sense. It would make some sense if you didn't have this last section of Zephaniah here at the end of the book. Because the, the net effect of what you, you, you read this, this morning is this. After all of these words of judgment, and despite all their sin and sinning, and despite their idolatry and complacency, and even despite the judgment and wrath of God, it, despite all of this, judgment is not God's final word. Rather, Hope is. Hope is. God calls us to sing songs of hope. After three and a half chapters, or excuse me, two and a half chapters of, of notes of judgment, in chapter 3, verse 14, what does God say to his people? Look at it again. He says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout. O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Why in the world should we sing and rejoice in this God? Well, Zephaniah gives us two reasons why we sing. And the first reason is God's mercy. You see how he goes on. Rejoice and exult with your, all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. Wait, the judgment that was rightfully theirs because of, because of all of their wrongs on God's list, their, their idolatry and complacency and their gossip and their slander and their angry words and their malicious actions and their lust and their wayward desire and their lying and the cheating, it's all gone. That, that's what it says. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's taken them away. He's set them aside. He's removed them. The legal case against God's people, it's been resolved. Every possible judgment that could be brought against God's people, no more. And their enemies, their accusers, the ones who were the instruments of God's justice, where are they? Well, it says he, he has cleared away your enemies. How does that happen? How does it happen that the rightful judgment of God for our sin and sinning might be taken away, might be cleared away? Well, it happens because of God's mercy. It's happen it happens because this, this God has determined to show compassion and to show grace to his people. This righteous God, this just God, this holy God he has decided to set aside the legal judgment against us. And it happens, Zephaniah says, because of God's presence. 
because God comes in the midst of his people. You see it in the second part of verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. And if we miss the point, it says it again in verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Now in both 15 and 17, you see there in your Bibles that Lord is those little capital letters. I've said this to you before, but just to remind you, whenever you see that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that's standing in for God's name Yahweh, which is God's covenant name. It demonstrates God's a covenant maker. He's a covenant keeper. And so, so the covenant maker, the covenant keeper, who was with his people all the way back at Sinai, Zephaniah says, he's coming and he's coming into your midst. And in fact, is there presently, but will come fully. And friends, this, this coming of God into the midst of his people, it's more than spiritual. And it's more than figurative. Now, Zephaniah actually looks to a time when God himself would dwell among and shepherd his people, Israel. Well, when does that happen? Zephaniah is not the only one who looks to that, of course. I mean, what did Isaiah say? Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Or, or Ezekiel, what does Ezekiel say? Ezekiel 34, verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And Zechariah, what does Zechariah say in chapter 9? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous in having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the pole of a donkey. And so it's not just Zephaniah, is it? The entire Old Testament has this expectation that God himself will come into the midst of his people. He will come to rule over them. He will come to be their king. He will come to be their shepherd. God's own presence bringing God's own mercy. I ask you again, when does that happen? That's right, it happened at Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. God's presence bringing God's mercy. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only of the Father, full of grace and truth. Therefore, the child who be born of you will be called holy, the Son of God. Born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior, Christ the Lord. You see, we sing and we rejoice and we exult with all our hearts because God has come. The, the King has come and he's come into our midst and the King has brought mercy. That's what's stunning about what Jesus does, isn't it? When Jesus comes into the midst of his people, he doesn't bring fire. He doesn't bring judgment. Rather, he brings mercy, in part because he comes to bear the judgment of God himself. He stands as the substitute, so that he stands in your place. And that's why we sing. We sing because God in Jesus Christ came, his presence came in real bodily form, so that he might show mercy to his people. But here's the thing. It, it might be conceivable 
for God to do all of that, to come into the midst of his people, to show mercy, and to do it in a grudging fashion. I mean, we could imagine within the Godhead, God saying, really? I mean, what a mess he's gotten himself into. What what a mess she's made of things. I I can't believe that over and over and over they do this. I wish they would just stop doing it. (sighs) Okay, I guess I have to go rescue them. I guess I have to go show them mercy. No, that's that's not what God does at all. There's no grudging with our God. There's there's no grudging coming, no no half-hearted, obligated, get-it-over-with kind of thing. How do I know? How do you know that when God comes in Jesus Christ to show mercy, it's not grudging, but actually he comes with great joy and delight? How do you know that? You know that because this passage tells you that God sings. Our God is a singing Savior. We sing this morning because he sang first. And notice how he sings. There's no reason to fear. That's what verse 16 tells you. You see it? On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. You see? Our God in Christ, stands in our midst this morning by his spirit. Jesus is here, our singing Savior, and he sings and rejoices over you. That's what this is saying. He will rejoice over you with gladness. That's the language of a wedding night. It pictures the bridegroom who who has great delight in his bride. It's the language of Isaiah, chapter 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. But but this is also the language of great passion and devotion. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, the Bible says. The word there for love isn't our, our friend, the Hebrew word chesed, which shows up over and again in our Old Testament. And it's translated throughout the the ESV as as steadfast love or covenant loyalty. Now, this is a different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word ahab, which is is used in Genesis to describe the passionate love that, that Jacob had for Rachel. He loved her so much that seven years seemed to be a week because of the great passionate love that he had for her. It's also used in in 1 Samuel 18 to describe the devoted love that Jonathan had for David. That's the word that's used here. He quiets you, he sings over you because of his passion for you and because of his devotion for you. That's what God thinks about you when he thinks about you. He thinks about you with great love and passion and devotion and that's why he rejoices. That's why he sings. Do you doubt that? It's not just here the Bible says that, not just in the Old Testament. You remember the parables of Luke chapter 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost sons? In each of those parables that Jesus tells there in Luke 15, who rejoices? Who rejoices? Jesus says, I tell you, 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Let us eat and celebrate, he said, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Who is singing? Who's rejoicing? God is. God is. He's the one rejoicing. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you with passion. He loves you with devotion. That's why he came. He didn't come in a grudging fashion because he had to. No, God in Jesus Christ came to rescue you and to show you mercy because he wanted to. He loves you. He delights in you. That's why he sings over you. That's why he rejoices. But he not only rejoices, he also restores. That's what Zephaniah goes on to say. Verse 18, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Friends, all that was lost, our singing Savior comes to restore to his people once again. As he stands in the midst of his people, he loves us and he sings over us. And because that's the case, he will deal with all those who've humiliated us. Who've, who've caused us to know shame. Those who've oppressed. He will restore that which was lost and make whole that was, which was broken. So that those who are broken spiritually, he will restore so that worship will be delight. And those who are broken economically, those who are oppressed and reproached, he says, I will restore and those who are broken physically, he will make whole. The lame and the outcast will be no more. They'll be fully restored. Those who are broken emotionally, racked by guilt and shame, they'll be made whole. Friends, what has God come to do in Jesus Christ? He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So that whether spiritually or economically or physically or emotionally, God will restore. And when the new creation comes, all will be set to rights again. God's people will hear this song of restoration as he sings with great rejoicing, as he sings to restore, as he sings to rescue. I mean, God will bring his people home. That's how the whole thing ends. In verse 20, at that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. You see, God will bring his people together, not simply in heaven when, where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, but he'll gather us here together in this world and not just us, not just IPC, not just even the PCA. No, this is, speaks of the nations. The nations will be gathered together, all the peoples of the earth, and God's song that he sings will be heard by each one in their own language. And they'll respond with great joy in the words of Revelation. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Friends, why will we sing on that day? We'll sing because in Jesus Christ, God has come into our midst. And he's begun this project of restoration and rescue. The kingdom has begun now. It's been established through Jesus' death and resurrection. And in fact, the entire Christmas story is all about this. That Jesus the Messiah, the promised king of Israel, 
is in fact the Lord himself. In Jesus, we have Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to suffer, and he came to die, and he came to be raised, but above all, he came to sing. To sing over you, to rejoice over you, to love you with passion and devotion. And if you would simply come with your sorrows this morning and your sadness for the thousandth time, the ten thousandth time, and say, Jesus, I do believe. That's what you've come to do. You've come to sing over me, to exult over me with loud singing, with passion and devotion. You just come. What you'll hear if you, if you just strain a little bit is the, is the voice of your God singing over you with a solo that's like a symphony. Indeed, in God's own singing over you, it sounds as though all the, the ranks that, that heaven can bring to bear are being bear, brought to bear in singing over you because your Savior delights in you. When he thinks about you, he smiles with great rejoicing and he sings, he sings a song of joy that for you is a song of hope. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we bless you that you have come in Jesus Christ and you have sung with great joy over us. Indeed, your very presence grants us your mercy because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so, Lord, in this Christmas season, make us mindful that as we sing these great carols and hymns, we are doing so in response to the one who's already sung over us. And Lord, may we know that you love us with great passion and devotion. And may we go with that confidence we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymnals.